Welcome to the Therapy Evolved Podcast, brought to you by Paragon Wellness. Each episode, we discuss the modern behaviors that trigger positive emotional states by tapping into the body and brain's evolved needs, which are so often neglected in modern life. Join us as we talk with experts in a relevant field, as well as everyday people who've experienced better mastery over themselves and their lifestyles through applying the principles of behavior we espouse. And if you'd like to know more, please join us at paragon-counseling.com or facebook.com slash paragonwellness. Thanks again for joining us. Welcome back to the Therapy Evolved Podcast, where we optimize human potential through understanding our evolved needs. We are back with a maybe co-host now, Beth Pace. Hey, I'm so uh, so delighted to be here. It smells like the outdoors on this side of the lake. That is, um, we are on the northern tip of the suburbs of New Orleans, where everybody fled to after uh, desegregation. So, and some of those values still persist, but it's coming along. Yeah, I was going to say, or it's sort of like traveling 40 years back in time, but let me not be, uh, let me not be unkind. Um, no, I'm excited that we're back because last time we had such a juicy discussion about stress, um, but for most... It's good. It's on. Okay. I'm just, I'm just paranoid. Most, um, most regular uh, Joes like yourself and myself, um, a lot of the stress that we experience comes from work. Of course. Yeah. Well, and, you know, what... I guess a good question to ask is like, not to get too uh, postmodernly here, but what is work? You know, what is it about? What is it? You know? Okay, so like I assume that that's not re- rhetorical. I would describe it as you. It's a trade. It's a transaction. So what you're doing is putting in labor, and then whatever you're receiving is is you know like allegedly a benefit to you. So you think about like. A long, long, long time ago, you know, my work might end up with me having. Uh, some dried meat that I'm going to trade for your work, which ended up with like some furs, right? So we're going to trade our labor, but then it ends up looking like a good or a product by the time, because we can't just like, unless we're living in community, in which case, like, so if we go pre barter system, we're talking about labor allows us to feed ourselves Sure. It allows us to, you know, stay warm, and it allows us to survive, basically. Yeah. And, you know, you look at, and the more we go into society, we'll be, and I'm going to actually stop tapping my phone to make sure this thing's still on. It's still on. But um, in the beginning of society, ostensibly, when we first discovered tools and socialization, we had groups of 30 or under, um, the majority of that labor was on one thing, basic, or one or two things, which was acquiring food and shelter and not getting attacked by beasts or rivals. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the more you go on in, in society and work, your work becomes less general, more specific. And up to the point where the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, which you could argue that farming even causes this, but the idea that if you have five people making, say, hammers... Um, if you put five people on their own to each make the beginning and middle and end of the hammer, and you take five people that each make one part of the hammer, the ones who never switch tasks, who never go from like the, the iron head of the hammer to the wooden um, handle of the hammer, the ones who stay on the same task 
make way more hammers because there's a loss of efficiency involved in switching gears and, and setting up different tools and working different materials. Mm. So the guy who does nothing but pound out hammerheads and the guy who does nothing but carve hammer handles, they can make many, many times more hammers than the people who start and finish artisan labor of their own. So it's breaking the task down into like specificity of focus. Right. Okay. And what, you know, you can think, okay, that sounds harmless enough, but even in the 1700s when Adam Smith wrote his uh, Wealth of Nations, he talked about how that will dumb people down to the point of absolute misery because we are a very high processing power machine that can do all kinds of cool stuff <clears throat> to be reduced to making hammer handles, mm. you know, as like your purpose in life. Mm. Okay. So then fast forward to 2018 where people also, you know, work isn't just um, labor for paper for, you know, it's still down to like acquiring food and shelter and, uh, you know, not getting attacked by beasts and rivals. But like our relationship with work has even changed because now we have a culture that also says like you need to find your bliss. Like work has to be not just something that you go so that you get like resource to pay for a roof over your head. Now mm-hmm. it's like, and you're supposed to love it allegedly like all the time. You're sure. supposed to have a job that isn't just like labor equals payment. Now it's like, I need a vocation. It's supposed sure. to be a passion or something like that. For some small percentage of the population. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, and so you have to think when you look at the Venn diagrams of the, the circle that has like enough resources to meet your needs. Mm-hmm. And then you have the circle that's like something you have the capability, education, training, materials, resources, geographic access, whatever to do. Mm-hmm. And then something that you also enjoy. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, and then let's throw in another circle on that Venn diagram, make it even smaller, of something that isn't saturated by people equally as lucky, capable, or positioned as you. Right. You know? And, and probably today we don't have enough time to get into it, but also there's a certain level of like... You know, you said geography, but I also think about, like, kind of some of the privilege that comes along with, like, some uh, some jobs versus others. But that's a systems discussion for a different time. Because today we're talking about work-life balance. And so, yeah, what is work? Work used to just be this thing that helped us survive. And then, you know, community was kind of, like, what helped us thrive. So we survived together. Um, so even in the same, like you think about the industrial revolution in the sense of, you know, different people making different, very specific parts. Um, if just creating the hammer is the goal, then like good on them, right? Cause they're working together. So if you think about like a small community where some people are hunting and other people are staying close to help take care of the kids and keep them alive sure. and away from predators or keep predators away from the kids, gathering things, um, that everybody's working kind of in concert for like the greater good of, of the community which I'm not trying to like idealize you know <laughs> yeah. the, like the old days is it but I also think about some of the things that um, make work-life balance so hard for us in 2018 so it's not just that you know you need to find a job you love or you need to find a job that gives you enough resources there are some other um, maybe attitudes or like evolutionary like increases of consciousness that have led us to this place where now work for a lot of people is consuming like consumes their lives sure yeah. well for many reasons right maybe they're in that economic uh, social group that they have to be doing 16 hours of work output to afford their 
uh, half a bedroom in a tenement. Yeah. You know, um, maybe they are in a position where they made some choices at home or they're in an environment that's stressful and unfulfilling. And so they try to meet that somewhere else mm. to work. Right? Mm. So the number of, you know, or maybe they're in a scenario where the competition is so fierce that they're, they have management that exploits them to a degree where they feel like they're going to be threatened with loss of being replaced mm. if they don't work themselves half to death. There's, mm-hmm. Or maybe they have social pressures where, um, you know, because of it being hard enough to raise themselves, but maybe they're raising a family. Sure. You know, so who knows? Yeah, and and so that work-life balance, you know, again, is one of those things where it's like you see somebody's Instagram account and it's like, you know, find your bliss, make sure to take time for vacations. Uh, but you watch other people's kind of highlight reel of what seems like the ease with which they navigate their work-life balance. And I think for, at least for myself, speaking as a, a regular human being, finding that balance is sort of like balancing on the head of a pin. You know sure. what I mean? Like what is actually the center? I think it's more like you you do your best to manage the ebb and flow of how to how to have a life that's that feels like it's optimized, if you want to use that word, or like you have great quality of life, but then you also have work that's um, not all-consuming. Yeah. It's yeah. tough. And the, the, the more, the more dual, the, the more addition of variables, sorry, the addition of more var- variables you have, each additional variable slims down the, the sort of like number of options that contain both variables or all variables involved, like that Venn diagram idea. Mm. So the idea of if you want four big um, things for your work to do for you, and a lot of other people do, it, it makes it harder and harder and the pressure to do that sort of stuff. Mm. And I know one thing, I, I know that it's sort of like a thing where we're probably going to have to spend a good amount of time like philosophizing about this stuff, and that's just sort of how it goes, but I do feel a desire or aim to kind of run in, because you know me by now, to run into like concrete possible solutions and ideas and mechanisms. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think we're there yet, just now, but... Well, because, you know, I wrote down in front of myself, like, how do you find balance, you know, so that this isn't just something where you and I are both, you know, each other's... Uh, like bobblehead talking heads, but yeah, like what would you what would be the takeaway um, from from our discussion today? So that someone who listened to it was like, oh yeah, I could try that, or oh I'm already doing that. Maybe you know I can just add or heighten or you know hone in on some some certain things. So yeah, you know I I answered like what my thoughts around like what work is maybe from a, a historical kind of standpoint, but like how would you how would you define work to maybe just like somebody sitting on your couch in your therapist's office? Sure. Um, well, work to me is the exchange of energy that, you know, what I would say is your time, your, um, you know, your physical or mental capacities. And probably these days, most importantly, the finite willpower resource and attention and focus resource. Mm. So what you're trading, essentially, because you know even the most physical jobs have some degree of brain power in them, you're trading the finite pool of capacity to perceive and value experiences in a day mm. for some product or service, usually in our, our case, money. So you're trading your 
your capacity to live with attention and focus on a particular amount of moments in a day. Okay. For material resources. Okay. Now, you know, that sounds horrible, except that really we all have to do some of that. Sure. Um, there's, there's no total avoiding it. And that's, I don't want, and I'm certainly not, you know, to the point where I'm going to crap on someone for valuing materials because to a degree they're necessary. Yeah. You know? Well, because when I think about materials, I'm thinking about like the ability to buy food or the ability to pay um, the light bill. Right. So that materials are, are at their most basic back to acquiring food or shelter survival. Yeah, and that can go as far as like Lamborghinis and chateaus, of course. But for the, but even, you know, even the capacity to have protein and cholesterol in, in your diet and have a, a roof that doesn't leak and have, you know, a door that locks and doesn't get kicked in by criminals or police all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that is material. Mm-hmm. Even if we want to look at it, we look at materialism to look at excess or luxury. But I, I'm I'm defining material as like just matter in the physics sense. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, so I, I think the simplest explanation of when I think of work is like I'm giving people my attention and finite focus in life with which to experience moments in exchange for material. Mm. Yeah, because I mean time is certainly finite, right? And it's also probably one of our most valuable resources. Well, even then you may have an eight-hour shift, mm-hmm. which ostensibly that gives you six to eight hours of sleep and eight hours to enjoy the day. And it looks deceptive, I think, because if you have a job that takes a third of your time, but it takes three-fourths of your attention. You leave your job totally wrecked and exhausted, so, like, the ability to, like, take a walk in the park with your spouse right. or play with your kids. If, if, and this is one of my major things in, in my practice here is behavior implementation, fitness, meditative practice, and all the sort of behavioral prescriptions like cold baths, sauna, things like that that enhance mm-hmm. performance. You can have, anybody can write something into a free block of time in their schedule. That is nothing. Mm-hmm. The hard thing is to spark the wires after you've been fried and force yourself to churn out the chemical expenditure to make you get up and move yeah. to do it, or, and much less enjoy it as you do it. And so, you know, it's interesting that you bring up, like, what is your kind of, like, focus or, like, when you're working with your ideal client and what they're working on. Because, yeah, as I think about, like, how I might be talking to someone about work, because often that comes up, you know, in my practice as well. Right, but that, you know, we really talk a little bit more about from the, you know, from the lens of, like, compassion-focused, how are you talking to yourself about the way you're living right now? Because a lot of times, like, you know, the last time you and I met, we were talking about some of those, like, hacks for how to deal with stress, exercising, meditating, whatever the case may be. But that, you know, the reason it might be helpful to go sit with a therapist is you may not know how many times in a day that when you make a mistake, you go, oh my God, I'm a total failure. Sure. Right. And so I'm hoping that like one of the things we can talk about today, at least briefly with regards to like, what are the concrete takeaways is how do I talk to myself about how I'm doing? either at work or with my work-life balance, you know, because sometimes people who are really high performing and maybe who have great jobs are spending their work time feeling guilty about how they're not spending enough time with their like spouse and kids. Mm -hmm. And then they're spending their home time worrying about work and whether or not they did a good enough job that day. And so the like, so then when you're talking about like focus and attention, you know, that 
where's the balance there, right? When I'm at work, I'm thinking about home. When I'm at home, I'm thinking about work. And so someone might even be feeling more exhausted than just that eight hours really took a lot out of me because it's like I'm also talking to myself about how I'm letting people down no matter where I am at any moment in time. Sure. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, you, th- you think about it too, and if you are <clears throat> spending more, if you're spending a minimal amount of attention required to do a job well, but then you're also adding dead weight to yourself with your self-talk and your mm. negative perceptions and stuff, mm. you're going to have even less um, energy and attention with which to spend that time you do get, obviously. And, mo- and to say any of us are perfectly efficient machines is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So Just you can, right? Just no, you. Nowhere close. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what I think about, and one of my favorite metaphors for therapy is, ironically enough, jujitsu. And you wouldn't think breaking bones and choking people out would have anything to do with therapy as a comparison. But it really does when we think about strategy, position, leverage, and sort of going with the flow of force. Okay? And what I, what I like about jujitsu is the idea of somebody can be 300 pounds, but you may be focusing 30 pounds of pressure on a wrist. Okay. And you can take a, you can achieve a 100x result of attention to leverage, if that makes sense. Mm. And I think in many points in our life, we have, we have these weak points or these leverage points that if you applied just a fraction of your attention compared to all the attention you already spend on lower target value items or tasks, okay. you could bend the, risk, uh, bend the wrist, so to speak, in your lifestyle and make a toppling event, a tipping point, compared to throwing somebody's whole like, midsection. Mm-hmm. And jujitsu involves body, so it's an easier metaphor for me. It's kind of more concrete, but sure. Well, but you know, if we're bringing it back to this idea of like focused attention, which is what I'm hearing you talk about, like where am I focusing that energy? And then kind of back to like the the harmful narrative. If I'm saving some of that energy from like beating myself up about how I'm not like doing a good enough job in my life, maybe some of that spare energy could be focused on like. An extra carving out an extra fifteen minutes in the morning to like meditate, or sure. you know. So I, I hear what you're saying, and for and, me, I'm thinking about like. And that's so easy to say. Oh yeah. Right, come and on. but you know, and so when you really come down to the concrete, and I guess this is kind of leaning back into our discussion about stress. When you come into the sort of concrete, okay, how do I develop and engineer the willpower to get the fuck up and go, right? That's not an easy answer. Yeah, and I've been trying to figure out how to be a 6 a.m. riser, like, pretty much for seven years, and I still haven't cracked the code. Make the pain of refusing to do it more than the pleasure of indulging. Thanks a lot, Ken. Okay. I mean, on again, but yeah. that sounds great in theory, right? Because sure. a second ago, I'm like, oh, yeah, this really means a lot to me. And you're like, yeah, Beth, that really sounds good on paper. And then you say something to me that sounds a little bit like, uh, like a made-up language, and I'm like, yeah. But it's also because, right, so, like, we sometimes have, like, blocks around the things that we aren't willing to try so then no matter what somebody says we are like oh yeah thanks a lot I didn't like I barely heard you and it wasn't because I wasn't listening on purpose um or is that true um but the other thing that I'm hoping we'll get a chance to talk about so yeah like how you focus your attention concrete things um maybe like how do I talk to myself about my work-life balance and that's again that idea of like exchange of time and energy like where is my energy like best spent but the thing that you know you had brought up because I I appreciate that you are a realist and you live in this world is 
values and budgeting, right? Cool so not that. just in the spirit of like my my personal values and who I am and am I living a life that's in keeping with my values uh, or budgeting my time, but also just like purely from this place of where is my money going? Of course. And then when do when am I? So like I guess I'm just gonna say it. Uh, work is addictive. Of course. Uh, can be right. You know. Also allergic. <laughs> Dad jokes. Dad jokes. Oh, um. <laughs> okay. So work can be addictive because work makes sense, right? Sure. I go to work. I work hard. Maybe in an ideal situation, I get like validation or uh, like accolades for that. Sure. So if you want to use. Uh, the past experience of me being your boss, um, I got something out of hearing people say things to me like, wow, you really work incredibly hard. Who could manage this program if not you? But because that to me sort of like met a need for me, um, I would listen to that maybe than like my own sort of internal clock or my body being like, hey, you're, you're pushing too hard. Sure. And so then because of like that, right, that I'm able to, uh, like I'm, I'm getting sort of the superficial validation of other people saying, hey, you're so good at this job. Um, I'm kind of denying my own like sort of, equilibrium or like my gut which is telling me like you're you're running yourself really ragged this is not like really sustainable but then as a result of that I would then go cope with my work stress in ways that were keeping me away from like my long-term goals and so I mean like impulse spending sure to make myself feel better momentarily uh this new pair of boots is gonna like fix my life um or even just like, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, uh, you know, myself included, I had also gotten into a habit of like working to a point of exhaustion during the week and then drinking to excess at least one weekend night, which was like this, um, how can I say this? Like almost like a chemically created, um, uh, like, uh, respite from that, that also forced me to slow down because my hangover the next day would be sort of like debilitating savage yeah savage yeah that's a great way to describe it okay yeah it makes sense so i think we we covered a couple topics here let's sure. hit your energy piece first um there was an added level of power to that addiction in any kind of human services or purpose-driven work like elon musk for example is changing society and taking us to the moon and shit and to mars so that dude is going to get high off of his own progress and achievement okay okay in, in our case maybe a little bit uh, more terrestrial but you're legitimately helping people not use drugs again. You know, it's kind of a big deal, right? Um, so when you have a purpose behind what you're doing, you feel important, you feel like you're contributing, and you are. And so if you are doing work that is making a massive impact, or um, and then you are told you are making a massive impact and that you're doing well, mm-hmm. well, what could be better than that? Right. And, well, then... Because you're so, and another thing is to, we habituate, right? Um, and so you habituate to that, and the next thing you know, you're pulling 14-hour work days, and you're going home, and your home life is practically non-existent, maybe, mm-hmm. at those kinds of work hours. 
and maybe it's okay for a while because it's a new experience and you're like being the boss and you're doing great things and you're keeping a compassionate and boundaries laden work environment and you're achieving great things you're promoting other people's careers you're helping people achieve things that never achieved before and maybe it just and also let's not forget the years of school and or training and or apprenticeship that often come with these grinding positions mm. to where you get conditioned over many many years to forget what fun and home look like or like distress tolerance, right? Yeah. So that, you know, when we, I talk about that a lot in my practice, which is this idea that, um, you know, the reason that the gyms fill up in January mm-hmm. is because everybody says, okay, this is my year, I'm going to change my life. And then that they're, the gym is a ghost town again, like mid-February, is because change is really hard and we have to habituate to the distress sure. of something that is like difficult for us. Yeah. So kind of to go back to, like, it's not that the 20-pound dumbbell ever gets any lighter. It's just that you get stronger and it feels different to lift it. Sure. So kind of back to what you're saying is, um, wait, would you say that we're training little workaholics in graduate programs? Little? (laughs) Adults. Just regular-sized adults. No, no, I mean mean little workaholics. (laughs) Okay. Like mega workout. I've got a deal okay. for you. I'm going okay. to put you 200000 in debt. I'm going to absorb your 20s and part of your 30s if you never fail a class. And when you're out, I'm going to give you 35000 a year. Mm. If someone had knocked on my door with that offer a decade ago, I, I think I'd have, no. I think I'd let in a Jehovah's Witness first. All right, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> that but, being said, I love my job now. But, yeah. Well, and, and also that we don't want to go too far, again, like back into sort of the specificity of yours and my focus, because we're talking about how like work could be addictive for maybe anybody. Of and course. The, and the reason maybe that work makes sense. Yeah. I go there, I clock in, I do my job. I leave. Well, and, more, and also, it's a it's an absolute shield from criticism from the outside world. Hmm. I mean, if you think about it, like, let's say maybe your your home life isn't so great. Maybe, maybe you don't have the greatest friend or peer relationships. Maybe you've been working too long to develop them. Okay. Um, when you're at the job, no one can tell you shit as long as you're doing your job well. Mm. Because I can't be doing anything else but my job right now. I don't have to face anything. I don't have to... Um, I don't have to invent anything. I don't have to change anything. I don't have to innovate. Um, as long as I'm performing this repetitive or maybe not repetitive series of, of tasks to satisfaction or beyond satisfaction, no one can criticize effectively my life choices. I can't criticize myself because everyone else is doing the same thing. What else could I possibly be doing? Mm-hmm. So on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so then... Possibly some of that exhaustion then when I come home, and maybe this is a little, because uh, we talked last week also about avoidance, not last week, the last time we, we met, we talked a little bit about avoidance and how like, man, it works, right? It does. So that like yeah. work also makes sense because there's no one there to tell me that I'm not like uh, showing up in my life or my family in the right way when I go to work. Cause yeah. if I'm doing my job, everybody's like, Hey, great job. Sure. Um, or at the very least, you know, I can put my earbuds in and like work at my station and tell everybody to leave me alone. And so I kind of get maybe me time. Um, and so it's a shield from criticism from the outside world in that way. But I also think about the fact that, um, 
it's it's status for us in a in a different way so much so that we kind of wear it as a badge of honor right like oh i'm so exhausted from work or you know um or that we would talk about how much overtime we got to each it's, other. As it's this. the new woolly mammoth trophy we cart around the tribe, isn't it? Oh, wow. You yeah. Know? It's a little sad. <laughs> and if it worked, though, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, if work worked mm-hmm. the way that we have kind of put it in this, like, really high value in our culture, if it worked for everything we were trying to use it for... You and I would be out of a job. Of course. And I wouldn't mind. Yeah, no, that's that's the whole point, right? We're trying to work ourselves out of a job. Um, But that a life out of balance um, is is painful to exist within, you know? So back to to that example of someone who's maybe spending their entire weekend off-gassing all that emotional buildup and stress that they've accumulated from their work week but just so they can turn around and, and do repeat. that exact same yeah, thing again. For sure. Yeah. Is that balance? Well, I mean, what we could go in another 20 minutes of what is balance. Let's not do that. But yeah. what I'm thinking about when you said the word avoidance, mm-hmm. and in Buddhist psychology, they have basically three sources, and I may be telling you something you already know, but they have three sources of suffering, and it's craving, avoidance, and delusion. Mm. And work is such a beautiful vector for all three. Mm-hmm. So avoidance, you've already covered, right? Um, Craving is you are suffering because you want something you don't have. And that doesn't work because when you'll either never get it because it's unattainable, or if you do attain it, it won't provide you the satisfaction of that wanting it promised it would give you. Right, or that maybe the satisfaction is short-lived and the next time the craving is greater for more of. Of course, which become proportionally more difficult to obtain in material reality, right? Um, so avoidance you covered well, and then the, the delusion piece, delusion just means believing a false idea. And the problem with believing a false idea is you, you don't get predictable beneficial outcomes from that. Mm. You, know, you can get lucky, but you don't get predictable beneficial outcomes from delusion. Mm. So if you believe work is going to do something for you that it won't, if you believe money will do something for you that it won't, if you believe, um, the avoidance of the perception of not working hard enough will do something for you that it won't, Mm -hmm. then you're going to be chasing that, you know, you're going to be on that little hamster wheel going nowhere. Mm. Well, and so that brings me back to this idea of like budgeting or financial values is, you know, for a lot of people, and again, you know, you and I are talking about work-life balance and maybe we are talking about like a microcosm of the world um, and that's because we live in the United States of America, sure, which is a yeah. country of certainly suffering and poverty, but also of some pretty great privilege. Um, because when it comes to like emotional energy or somebody stopping to think, like, am I living the kind of life that I really like want to be? If I'm spending three hours out of my day walking to the only well in my mm-hmm. village, one and a half hours there, then one and a half or probably a little more back because I'm carrying water, do I really have time to be like, what is work-life balance for me? Is this what I wish? You're right, because like... Yeah. I'm on a different plane. Sure, no, no, but to be fair, let's take that a step further. Um, many of the happiest places on the planet have the least amount of resources. You're right. But that being said, it's not too happy to get your head chopped off on, a, on an ISIS news station either. So, um, you know, there's a, 
There's a balance to this. Oh, we're, we don't do, we don't do political correctness here, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just don't I just, do. Like, I just put my I put my palm on my forehead, like not even realizing that I had just like face palmed. I mean, the man is right. Um, but what we're again, like coming back to maybe Western culture and like our Western values around work. Um, if you if anyone has ever experienced what it's like to be out of a job then we know that that's also incredibly painful. It is hell, yeah. Right. But in this case, what we're talking about is trying to find, you know, the balance between gathering resources and having a life that feels, you know, worth living with those resources. And and I, s- go ahead. I think we covered the, like, up to the money point of the whole values, why we do it other than the money, what yeah. it gives us emotionally. Yeah. I think this would be a much, not a totally easier problem, but I think this would be a much easier problem to solve if it weren't for, like, the looming sort of Damocles of poverty hanging over all our heads. Financial instability is what we're... So yes. we're not just chasing this ideal. We're also running away from, from the next emergency. Or that a course. lot of people are one paycheck away from, you know, crisis. Sure. sure. And, yeah, that, that's, that's unavoidable mm-hmm. um, as a risk factor. Sure. It, it is absolutely a risk factor. But I think you know, we can we can get into deep philosophy about meaning, purpose, why we do what we do, whether we do it correctly, also, and, th- and that is valuable. Because not everybody listening to this is still in a position to be afraid for where their next meal is going to come from or where okay. their next you know shelter. That doesn't mean they're not going to get sucked in either. Mm. For all the reasons you described, prestige, displacement of attention and responsibility and focus and energy and avoidance of other problems that they maybe aren't as skillful at handling as they are at a job. You know, but then it comes down to that nasty reality of like starvation sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, getting thrown out of a home really sucks. Not being able to, you know, engage in a world that is steadily getting more and more expensive yeah. sucks. Um, and that's if you're single. If you have children to care for, and let's hope they don't get sick in America. Right. Right. Um, so we do have to probably talk in some level of detail about this level of pain, too. Sure. And I, in my mechanical mind, I, while I'm no financial advisor, you know, I feel a lot more comfortable talking about these moving parts because they're quantifiable. Yeah. You know? And one of the things that you know, I can certainly say is that um, when you were running group counseling for a substance abuse treatment facility... One of the things that clients would regularly ask for is, I need like something real that I can take away from this. You guys aren't helping. And the reality is that we can talk about find your bliss, find your passion, sure. love yourself, talk to yourself differently. But if someone, again, we're saying like is one crisis away from, or like one emergency away from financial crisis, it is really helpful to think about like, what are my financial values? How do I budget? Um, I've regularly walked into a room where you were giving like a talk to a group and like read what was on the board and been like, that's really helpful information. I think for us, um, there's a luxury to being able to talk about the sort of ephemeral, like who am I, what am I doing? Of course. When the day to day may be like, okay, I have, I have $17 in the bank and I have to pay the toll to get back over to the side of the lake that I live on. Sure. 
you know. Um, do you need toll money? Like, no, <laughs> so let's but let's talk no. about that. So let's actually like talk about things that are quantifiable because um, I'd be curious to hear about it uh, because work life balance. A lot of the, you know, people say the rat race, and I just think about a hamster wheel. You know what I mean? That idea that I'm chasing this dream, but at the same time I'm also running away from um, crisis. It's really more like I'm just spinning around and around and around if I don't have, like, a path to get out. That's real. Well, and, you know... Modern capitalistic industries, electronic currency, all this other stuff. That's it is unnatural in a way, but in a way it, it is natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll get briefly philosophical, and then I'll come back to my mechanical savagery. And when you look at what is something like a rabbit, it is chewing grass to obtain the energy to keep moving around to cr- create more rabbits until it is eventually consumed or dies of old age or injury or whatever. Um, much like ourselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what it's doing when it breaks down that grass or that vegetable or whatever in its stomach, it is essentially converting its work energy, right? It is Mm -hmm. giving attention and focus and and physicality and all this other stuff and competitive edge to its own survival. The entire ecosystem of the world is an exchange of energy. The sun exchanges energy with the grass, which exchanges energy with the rabbit, which exchanges energy with the predator, which exchanges, you get the idea, that whole Lion King talk. But is that really that much different than a banking system? Yeah, I mean, I can Even see down to the well. fact that there's electricity in bodies and brains, and there's electricity that runs our current accounts, you know? Um, I guess as above, so below, if that metaphor even works. But, well, although there's as, that would make it a simile. Goddamn, I'm stupid. You're doing, you're doing <laughs> all right. But, I mean, I think yeah. I appreciate what you're doing because... Um, I, even for me to conceptualize what you're talking about, as we've said before, you know, that thoughts are electrical and emotions are chemical, but for me to sit here and sort of compute, right, so that the rabbit, right, circle of life, cycle of life, or just like money kind of flowing, energy flowing sure. in, in that same way. It is, the, it is almost, it's the same thing in a different um, mechanism, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe it's the same mechanism in a different thing, however you want to look at it. Mm. But let's... What I, I'm not that good at philosophy. What I am good at is cold, hard, savage materialism. Let's okay? hear it. And I, even in my personal practice, I don't, or that sounds very Buddhist, I mean, in my professional practice as a private uh, therapist, I don't encourage um, rumination or deep philosophy at first. If you are not um, turning your body into a savage protein and cholesterol devouring machine, if you are not getting enough sleep, if you are not waking up early and outmaneuvering your competition, even yourself from yesterday, if you are not um, taking responsibility for your actions and also taking responsibility for letting yourself make mistakes without beating yourself up during mm. those actions, mm. if you're not handling the basic mechanics of being a savage animal in the savage world, what good is that fancy brain between your ears and all the philosophizing it can do? Mm-hmm. Tying that into work-life balance. We can get into the um, ephemeral, as you called it, but don't go there until you have the financial and the material straight. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean get rich, right, necessarily. And when I look at this, I think the biggest terrestrial, and I'm going to use terrestrial to mean financial, problem in work-life balance 
is people uh, targeting their energy poorly. Um, in the jujitsu metaphor, they're not going for the smallest, weakest joint they can bend to attain success. Okay. All right. Um, finances. Let's say. Or, sorry, if, or yeah. if I'm a giraffe, no. If I'm just some animal, like go for the low hanging fruit, right? Of course. You don't, or yeah. go for the um, combination of lowest hanging, highest caloric yield. Yeah, okay. Uh, with least amount of predators and competition. Another of those Venn diagrams, right? Mm hmm. As the rabbit goes for those things, the human goes for lots of resources, low competition, meaningful, they have the capability to do it well. And so the more things we want in the same thing, that field gets smaller and smaller. Okay. Right? So you're saying put financial and material first, and then you don't have to philosophize about work-life well, balance. Well, put your solid mechanism of your body and your thinking processes into mastering the strategic objectives of the physical first, and then your finances will come. And once you get your finances in order, and you've got the personal maintenance to not seek external maintenance into your body or your brain elsewhere. For example, boots. Right? Gotcha. If you are taking care of yourself, eating the right kind of food, getting enough sleep, doing the right amount of physicality, engaging with the right people socially, those boots aren't going to be as tempting. They may still look good, mm -hmm. but you're not going to use them as your escape you know, mechanism per se. Okay. Um, but coming to, coming to the money piece, the, the targeting element, right? The amount of money people spend proportionate to the focus energetic and reward system response of what they spend it upon. Mm. Um, if you spend $1,000 on clothing that is, you know, higher quality, more well-known, gets you a little bit more praise, but it only has like maybe a 5% to 10% differential value in its own utility of providing shelter, uh, you know, on your body. Or let's say you acquire $200 worth of clothing to effectively show up to a job or operate at a bare minimum respectful level in society. I'm not saying okay. walk in in jorts and, and flip-flops. Okay. Depends uh, on the job. Depends on the job. Yeah. Okay, so so the way that I'm thinking about this is like, you know, not to name drop too much, but like something that's really interesting about uh, living in the South, for example, is the way that we buy winter clothing for its fashion, fashion like because it's fashionable versus like functional. So sure. I once tried to wear winter clothes that I had bought in the South in Denver, Colorado in October and found out pretty quickly that like what I had was fashionable, but it was not functional. Sure. And so we think about like what's the impulse, right? So back to your thousand dollars versus two hundred, I think about like, do I need a pair of shoes that like the sole doesn't slip, or do I need a pair of Gucci flip flops um, in order for someone else to know that like I have I have status as a person who sure. owns a pair of shoes? Like well, that. let's not crap on that person immediately. Yet, oh, right? by yeah. no means. That's actually the title of a uh, very current hip hop song. Oh, is it? Flip flops. Okay. Don't look it up. Or do. <laughs> or do. So <laughs> they better give us royalties. Oh my <laughs> so, gosh, Ken. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when you look at like, okay, there is a scenario where somebody displaying flashy elements of wealth could be the bare minimum required to operate in that scenario. Okay. All right. If you are an Instagram celebrity or something equally, uh, you know, visual spectrum, wealth projecting oriented such as that, you can't walk in with pragmatic 
reasonable accoutrement, if you will. Sure. Um, so in that very niche scenario, it would make sense. Okay. Okay. But for most of us, we don't we don't target our expenditures of energy, focus, and currency to actually match the leverage of outcome and reward. I want you to break that down for me because I didn't totally understand. Okay. So if I'm spending $200,000 on a house that is only 15% more satisfactory or functional than a house that's half the cost, what am I doing? Chasing. Well, let's say the difference is I get... um, some shallow or incremental push to my identity because I live in a certain neighborhood or because the facades look a certain way or because there's an extra bedroom or two with which I can host parties or whatever small incremental motivating factor or the fact that, you know, maybe you're choosing to spend double that money so that you can tell people you live in um, something of this range. Or, you know, if you... Literally, if I mean, if you live in Miami and you find a two hundred thousand dollar house, you're actually doing good, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's all it is again where you are and what you're doing. Sure. But if you are spending disproportionate amounts of your focus and energy to get incremental rewards, you're fucking up. So I guess what I'm like, if I'm gonna go back to like the the boots reference, I'm thinking about it more like. I go to lunch every day. I go out to lunch every day to sort of keep up with my coworkers when in reality saving that money and bringing my lunch from home might kind of like meet my financial values or like serve my budget sure. better. But you know, and again everything is like a, is nuanced, right? Sure. Let's say that you are cultivating relationships with people who can advance your career. Mm-hmm. Um, you may want to spend that money going out to eat with them more and more often because you're marketing. Yeah. Yourself, right? And so I guess what I'm hearing you talk about really is this idea that you have to know what your goals are in order to be able to put any kind of focused attention. Of course. Okay. Yeah, and and it's so obvious that it's kind of like, oh, yeah, you're a fucking genius. (laughs) No, man. But I mean, when people say things like, I just want to be happy, like, what does that mean? Because if happiness, if like joy is an emotion that's like pretty fleeting, like all emotions are... You know, you ask somebody, like, what do you want out of your work-life balance? And they go, I just want to, well, is it I want to make more money, right? Or is it I want more time at home with my family? Or is it I want to be able to afford to go on vacation? Or maybe it's just, like, I'd really like to move out of um, this family, like, this this home that I share with a lot of family members sure. and, like, live on my own. And so as much as we say, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, like, thanks a lot, genius. For me, I think about the fact that, like, we regularly, if we're getting caught up with what we are sort of being shown from the world around us, we don't necessarily, like, it is our task to kind of regularly stay in touch with, like, what our own, like, real goals are, and then bringing them back to this place that's quantifiable, you know, so. Absolutely. I mean, so a couple things I heard from that, it's sort of like, do I want this, 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 or this, or this? And then I like to break it down even more simply. Are you looking for serotonin? Are you looking for dopamine, anandamide? Um, basically, all the neurochemicals that trigger the different types of emotions that we like to throw fancy philosophical terms to. Okay. Um, if you seek things, 
you know, if you have an imbalance of one type of chemical over another, if you're getting massive expenditures of finance or energy or time or whatever for intense fleeting highs, that's dopamine, mm-hmm. right? You might be more inclined to spend your money on speedboats, okay? Um, and if that's what you're seeking, that's what you're seeking, so okay. long as it's not detrimental to you. The problem okay. with the problem with dopamine chasing is that it tends to be disproportionately financially expensive for most people compared to the duration and frequent and intensity of the reward. Mm, okay. Okay. So if you have a, a speedboat that costs you a fifth as much as your home. Okay. okay. And it really gets you high the first five times you take it out. Well, then it starts to diminish. Well, yeah. the price doesn't. And not only does the price of this item not diminish, the value certainly does, but the price didn't. What diminishes is what, what doesn't diminish is the amount of energy you and focus you have pre-committed or post-committed sure. into that low-yield, high-cost problem. Trapped in a financial commitment. Sure. Yeah. And the more of those that you're in, the harder, the, the fewer options you have to reduce the intensity and duration of your work. Obviously. Okay, okay, I see what you mean. All right, so yeah, like you, the question you're asking is like, what is, you know, we have a, you and I have a, a treasured colleague who's a psychiatrist, and one of the things she'll regularly ask people is like, what maybe is your substance of choice doing exactly for you? Exactly. Because then that's what she's saying is like, then what would be either like a healthy medical replacement if she's mm-hmm. talking about psychiatric medications? But you and I are talking about like breaking down not just work-life balance into goals, but like, yeah, what sort of a life do I actually want? Because, okay, so like, I mean, and here's me showing like how light my appreciation of evolutionary psychology and neuroscience is. And I don't mean keeping it lighthearted. I mean, I'm not going to read the kind of books you read, Ken, or listen to the kind of podcasts you listen to because that's not what I spend my time on. Um, but when you think about um, like oxytocin or like this mm-hmm. sensation of like con- connectedness, if somebody says the reason I want to work less or work more is to provide for my family, or maybe someone else is saying the reason I want to work less is so I can spend more time with my family, right? And that yeah. those two things are not the same, even though it might be easy to say, well, I work so hard so I can, you know, have money to uh, spend on my family and that we can go on a vacation once a year or even just like um, I can take my kids to Chuck E. Cheese for their birthday. But when you really ask someone to kind of funnel it down into, do you want more time with your kids and the energy to spend with them? Or do you want more money so that you can, you know, put that towards their college fund or whatever the case may be? Now, this is where, you know, one of my deepest frustrations with this beloved counseling profession is that we are so open-minded that our brains fall out sometimes. And what I mean by (laughs) what I mean by that is every outcome is equally valid and all this other stuff. That would be true if not for biology. Okay? So where I'm going with this, you mentioned a beautiful point of for example do i go on the big vacation for one week out of the year Mm -hmm. but then work like a dog for 51 weeks yeah the nature of chemistry that affects our mood and happiness and unhappiness and stress and and reward and all that stuff it's not about the intensity it's about the frequency you can only get so high on the same type of chemical before your brain shuts that down so you don't stop your heart or any other ner- you know biological damage you do. 
if you're looking for an answer of do I want some mega singular experience that is disproportionately costly of energy, focus, and time, or do I want of something more moderate to mildly intense to mild experience that happens more frequently? Mm. I'm going to do the cardinal sin of counselors here and give definitive opinion. Go with what you do more fucking often. Your vacation is not your life. And what the hell is the point of the best vacation on the planet if your life around that vacation sucks? Well, yeah, and the question maybe is, like, are you making... Is there such a thing as making up for lost time, which I, you know, certainly have my own opinions about, but this idea of, like... That's what a counselor's supposed to do, by the way, y'all. <laughs> is backpedal all the time? Someone recently said, reminded me that, like, you know, I would answer a certain question so... Um, in such a slippery way that other people would be like, see, you can't get a straight answer out of these people. Um, But, you know, if you think about kind of back to that, like, do I work hard so I can, you know, put my kids through college or do I work less so I can spend time with them? Um, And this is a really hard question that a lot of parents grapple with. And, the you know, then the question of, like, if you ask your, if you ask any of your own clients, like, to think back, what do you remember about, like, holidays? Do you remember presents? Or do you remember, like, family, con- like, meals, togetherness? Like, which which of the memories really stand out for you? Kind of in the same thing, like, if you've and got... there's an obvious answer to that, isn't there? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, you know, over by and large, what we remember is the the warmth of connection with family, more so perhaps than, like, the the present eight hours of oxytocin is way more potent than 10 minutes of dopamine okay okay so then thinking about that back to kind of like making up for lost time um one of the things that's really wild is that if we live long enough to get to a certain degree of like financial comfort um say for example we retire one of the alleged luxuries of that is being able to look back on your life and figure out if you spent it the right way. And that's rough. <laughs> I, am, I am definitely on the mini retirement Tim Ferriss uh, cult as that goes. Respect, yeah. respect. But and yeah. I, yeah, so then in, in that case then, you know, you think about someone who's in their 60s or their 70s and then looking back on what was I doing when my kid was five? Sure. What was I doing when she was 10? Was I, you know, and this is only if someone has like also sort of habituated themselves to being able to be self-reflective, which is way hard work. And um, also counterproductive, so don't do it because we're not going to encourage that. Right? <laughs> you, may not, you may not plug in that spreadsheet if you think too hard. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I guess what I'm, I'm getting at is stopping and taking time to reflect now, what I mean is, am I living the am I living a life that's in keeping with my financial vi- values, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really like, um, and here's something that we were talking about, like before we turned the before we turned the recorder on, was also that the difference maybe from like an evolutionary perspective of today versus you know a couple thousand years ago is. We survived by getting help from each other, whereas in 2018, we think that survival, or we've been conditioned maybe to think that survival is doing well 
from to an outside observer. Sure. Right. And that really has to, or so we think, look like don't ask for help. Right. There's still a lot of stigma around. Um, so you can talk about how hard you're working and how much you're grinding, but it's not quite the same thing, or maybe it's not as socially acceptable to look at a colleague, a friend, and say, you know, I'm really uh, burning myself out at work and I'm not super sure that I'm living a life that's in keeping with my values. Like, we're just not really, I guess, societally conditioned to have those sorts of conversations. Well, and how sensitive can the person to your right or left be when they're doing the same thing and suffering the same way? Get back to your spreadsheet, bitch. Yeah, like, don't ask that kind of question. And so what you and I are doing, as much as I'm saying, you know, as much as I'm hearing you, I hope lightheartedly say, don't get too deep into reflection. Um, Until you have your terrestrial shit together. Got you. And I'm, I'm of a differing opinion. There, I said awesome. it. Opinion. Awesome. I have one. My opinion differs from yours, from yours, and I hear where you're coming from, and I certainly um, appreciate it. And I'm saying that so, so often, or at least in my own case, I was eyeballs deep in my workaholism. And I was also eyeballs deep in all of my like coping and avoidance strategies that were keeping me from being able to see that I was killing myself, sure. right? And I had to have, um, I had to have like a pretty significant like earth-shattering like consequence in order to kind of come to in my own life and be like, wow, I don't want to live like this for the next couple of decades. You know what I mean? For sure, yeah. And, and so you, you are of such a good performance that they would have been happy to have you and give you more. More work. Yeah, more work, not more money. More work, right? And so, you know, I just—I was just talking to uh, someone today who's uh, who's kind of way into the world of work um, is really different. Um, but basically, for her, she was like, you know, I work so hard because um, I love to work and I love to do well. But even I'm starting to see that I've got bosses who start to expect this level of like extraordinary work performance from me For which minimal exchange which of could right which could be validating except i also see that i don't want them to burn me out of course when i'm trying to find my own work life balance you know and this i think that's something that um, again you know i'm have i have a lot of like conversations like this that are outside of you know years of my conversation today um, that i've i've got a loved one who uses the phrase on the beam right so that it's you know, you when you're on the beam and things are kind of like in balance, you're taking good care of your body. You're taking good care of yourself through like your diet and exercise. You're spending quality time with loved ones, you know, whatever. Um, or hobbies and diverting um, tasks. And then when you're not, being able to also read those cues so that you don't find yourself so far off of like the beam of, of that balance that when something does, like when shit really does hit the fan, you're like so far away from, from the habits of like eating healthy. You don't know what the bean looks like anymore. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. And, you know, we use, you know, a lot of times we use phrase in like the, uh, phrases in the addiction field like relapse um, and people immediately like in their mind picture like picking back up a substance, a mind and a mood altering substance. Of course. And I'm thinking more about like if I stopped watching Netflix basically from the second I get home until the second I go to bed and I started like working out, stretching, hanging out with my family, whatever. Um, and then I go back to watching Netflix every night. 
being tuned in enough to myself to say like what's going on here like where's sure. where's the balance and so you know you're talking about budgeting and absolutely and i think about like focused attention we are at some of the greatest risk to doing harm to ourselves when we are on autopilot of course yeah. when we're kind of like phoning it in right and that's kind of where i come from with the handle the terrestrial first and where the, because the reason I think, or, and you, you know, there's good research on both sides of this fence. So there's, I really can't claim superiority in this opinion, but <laughs> as much as I would love but if, to. But if we were, if we were like actually like fighting in a martial art, uh, Ken would for sure win. So like in an intellectual discussion, it's fair game, but. So you look at this and what's more likely to put you on point out of your many options, Right to engineer a state of mindful consciousness with no willpower in your gas tank, right? Or, that is, to think your way out of your thinking. Mm. Or to shove yourself into some cold water. Or to have your best friend drag you by the freaking ear until you go sweat. Mm -hmm. Of those different types of options, I'm putting my money on the physicality and the simplicity, giving you the free resources with which to then contemplate. If that makes sense, because mm-hmm. it's it's almost impossible, I think, to think yourself out of your thinking when you're when your thinking is already on like a survival based pattern. Yeah, and then that's um, that's kind of at least from what I've seen in my own work, um, that's when change has to come from sort of like the lightning bolt to your life. Of course, right? Yeah. Instead mm-hmm. of you know what you know, setting intentions for your year or for, you know, whatever the case may be. But even then, you know, one of the things that we kind of brought it back to the last time we, we met and talked on this podcast was then why why go to therapy and why get some help um, or get some support, maybe let's say that instead, is um, regularly people will say things like, you know, yeah, I'd love to go to therapy, but I really can't afford to do it. Sure. And I appreciate that because I, um, you know, money's tight, right? And if it's like between buying groceries or going to talk to someone else about the way I think, sure. I mean, I could really appreciate why like going to the grocery store is more to the point. Well, it must be even more savage about that. Food will definitely feed me if I'm desperate. It will definitely give me a short-term relief if I want to stress eat. Going to a therapist may may be beneficial or it might suck. And that person is definitely not going to buy me groceries yeah. later if sure. I need them. For sure. Yeah. Um, but if we're talking about like why, why come to, to sit in an office like Ken's or in an office like mine, um, you know, he and I are obviously having a lot of fun talking to each other, but optimizing performance also sometimes includes sitting with difficult questions that you may not immediately know the answer to. Because again, like if I knew the answer to some of these things and I knew what to do, why would I go talk to somebody else about it? I'd just be doing it. Sure. Well, if you had the energy, that too. More, you know, more pieces. But So let let me step on my own argument for a moment. Yeah! So... Yes, I, I totally agree. If you have nothing going for you, nothing's going right, you can't get off your ass to motivate yourself to do anything. Because it's not usually knowledge so much as it is energy and will mm, mm-hmm. in the short term, right? Sure. So I thoroughly believe 
diving into the physicality of physics and nature to force yourself to feel different chemistry through behavior Mm -hmm. is an absolutely required first step for people without the motivation. Sure. You cannot, you you know, we are this game piece in this universe that, that we are playing. You can have the best tools, the best game piece, but if you don't know what game you're playing or what object you're crafting, what the hell is the point? So that, for me, is where, like, some of these really focused, kind of like, you said focused attention, and I think about spending an hour asking yourself, who am I, what am I doing here? And then the real question is, where did I get that message, right? So this idea that, like, um, having a flatter stomach is going to, um, you know, increase my quality of life. Right, (laughs) right. Or is it, like... Having hair that's this shiny is going to make me more attractive. Like so, the question. So then it becomes like, how do I parse out, you know, what is my own truth, and then asking myself, like, right, am I, what am I think, like, how am I thinking, and where am I getting these messages from? Like the reason that marketing works so well, is because people who have like similar credentials and skills as you and I are going and sitting down and figuring out how to make that burger not just look tasty, but also like it's going to solve my problems. How can we maximize the leverage of craving, avoidance, and delusion in our subject marketing populations, of course. So then if we're coming back to, you know, um, by no means am I poo-pooing Gucci flip-flops, but again, like you think about cost-benefit, right? If I paid an exorbitant cost for something and received a short-term benefit, was it worth it? And if the answer is no, what am I going to do differently? Because if that's the cycle of like, I bought something I can barely afford, I feel terrible, I sort of wait for a little while to let that guilt and shame abate, but I haven't done anything about like what I could do instead to help meet those needs. And the money builds back up to be there. And then the next thing I know, I'm like, okay, well, then maybe it's this next um, $200 bamboo jersey cotton jumpsuit that's going to really change my life. That's awfully specific. (laughs) (laughs) You know, who I'm a human being, Ken. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so you bring up, you know, it's an absolutely important point, and it is why, I mean, last time we've been talking about why you can't just, like, read a BuzzFeed article and go to get a gym membership and now you're now you're enlightened and happy. It doesn't yeah, man. quite work that way. I, I will say you cannot effectively answer those deep questions when your body is assaulted by the savage consequences of your own misbehavior. For sure. Fix that first. Mm-hmm. And in that moment of lucid um, post-self-care stability, Mm-hmm. When you're on the beam, now you are free to contemplate the deeper meanings and the bigger questions of who you are and what you want to do in this time. Right. And so that I'd be more apt to listen to you about budgeting. Sure. Once if, your head is clear. Mm-hmm. Once your body, once you're no longer panicking from that bamboo jersey, you know. Um, she was not a jersey, Ken. It was a jumpsuit. Jumpsuit. Okay. Yeah. Now, so I know that we're kind of getting onto our time, but like... What I'm hearing from you around like the the kind of basics on a takeaway is I need to be taking really good care of myself and that's I think the crux for a lot of people is once I have time I'll start taking care of myself when really it's that kind of like self-care first 
and then letting everything else kind of fall in. This Yes, and, and in this moment, it is so easy to say, well, when I have blank, and then have the other person say, well, you need to make blank. Mm-hmm. And then you have the person who's in the situation going, how the fuck do I make the fuck with which I make the fuck? You know? Yeah, I got a little lost. I think the, the book that I was telling you about Profit First kind of broke it down for me. Like, if you are making money and, like, as I say, you're a small business owner. You're making money and that's your, the, like, the kind of gross income. And then you take out for expenses and then you maybe pay yourself with whatever is left. And then you tell yourself, okay, well, if there's anything left over from that, I'll put it into profit for my business. Mm-hmm. And, right, title of the book's Profit First. The guy who wrote it is Mike Michalowicz. Um, I think you'd be able to find it just from that, like, that internet yeah, search. For sure. But what he's saying is from that kind of gross, like from that total mm-hmm. amount of energy, take out profit first and then budget everything else. For sure. So in that same spirit, it's from the amount of time that you have, you take out time for self first. Right. And to be able to do that, because then the, the common logic argument back, which I'm certain he would have to address for this to be a book, yeah, is that like, well, I can't take out profit if I lose my business if I do, right? Right. Or And, and take this for the classic American Western on that grind with nothing to spare. Mm-hmm. You have something to spare. You've just been socially conditioned to think you can't lose it. So what he, right, so in the spirit of that, what he says is every time you have a good month, for example, you have a surplus of, like, money. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, if we're using that as the example, we are socially conditioned to to go ahead and spend it, right? Or to go ahead and put it into that pair of boots or that vacation instead of, right, like, would this money better serve me? Right, and so what he's saying is if you don't put self first or if you don't put profit first, you will fall by the wayside as you continue to fill any extra space with more commitments. Sure. And so when you think about what can, because I want to get pragmatic here. We're getting close to the end, so mm-hmm. I want to be especially pragmatic. So people listen to our fun discourse. We're like, but I didn't learn shit, you know? <laughs> you know, maybe <laughs> what I would say is um, when you think about the hundred different things that a modern adult has to balance in the Western world, right? This bill, that bill, this bill, that one, this obligation and that one, this piece of time, that thing. What I would say is an 80-20 analysis, just your classic, um, not Parkinson's, I'm, I'm blanking on it, but the the principle by which um, for 20% of all your people, places, and things are 80% of your beneficial outcomes. Pareto's principle. Okay. okay. And what that means is absolutely do not give up the 20% of things that are 80% of your beneficial outcomes. Absolutely do give up the, tw- uh, the 20% of things that are 80% of your problems. Or absolutely do nick off some of the 80% of things that are incremental minimal benefit that you've been holding onto out of inertia. If you think about the last time we actually stop on a Saturday, lay out our, all our bills and go, who can get me a better deal here? Can mm. I get this for free or cheaper somewhere else? Mm. Can this pay for that? And can I do without this or that? We have room to spare. We're just not conditioned to have the energy to slash things, change things, make things compete for our mm. things. Mm-hmm. 
but that requires the focus that a workaholistic outlook will sap from you so you can't. Yeah, and so that's exactly what I'm thinking about is like how frantic um, people feel. And so then when someone who has, you know, someone who is an unobligated third-party observer says, how can you carve out time for yourself too, right, to look at, you know. Well, and attention. You can have the time, but if you're drooling on yourself because you're exhausted. Right. And so how can I carve out the time and give the energetic attention to um, these either just like something as basic as who can get me a better deal or when was the last time I called my credit card company to say like, I want you to lower my interest rate of been your client for like X amount of years. Um, Because like these are all things that people who love to think about money and love to talk about money have created websites to help you do but this is kind of back to that idea of like requires the attention to do it right or the so a lot of times like maybe we have the desire for change and we're not really sure like what is the what is the step to get there and that for me really comes back to like what is work-life balance and for me I also think about being human enough to like admit that you're suffering which can be really hard for us because we get habituated to it um or so admitting that you're suffering is kind of one of the first parts around like you said craving avoidance delusion um and then asking for help even if that asking for help is like looking at your spouse and saying it would mean everything if you can help me get 15 minutes in my day somewhere to like journal sure or if that looks like you know i mean how many people look at their bosses and I appreciate that like in certain ways in certain places this may not be like available how many people actually look at their bosses and go you know by law I need a 30 minute lunch break and these two 15 minutes break breaks throughout my day like do we take breaks or are we like oh pushing through powering through so asking for help can look different for any sure. person and for me I think about the way that like if I don't see myself as out of balance my body, my life is going to give me a message that I am in a way that I don't want. Or control. Or, right. or can control. And there's a yeah. delusion piece, right? Right. Because you can get beneficial outcomes from being delusional. You just can't get predictable beneficial outcomes, right? Yeah. So to tighten that even more uh, or to take another stand, angle on that stance, um, when you, you know, to be in the situation where you are out of work-life balance perpetually over time, by definition, you drain all your attention and focus and free reserves with which to change the situation. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you don't know somebody with a little bit of willpower to kick you in the ass sure. or sure. give you a hug and feed you a steak and put you in some cold water and drag you to the gym or to sit you down in front of a blank notebook, steal your remote and your phone and tell you you can't come out until you've written down a page. Yeah. You know, that's these are extreme things. I don't know. Sure, sure, sure. But Ken's not going to do that if you're his client. He's not going to come to your house and do that for you. That's an extra consent form. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say, like, man, Ken, that's wild. Well, but what you're, what I think for um, coming back to that, like, evolutionary perspective, or like how we are hardwired to thrive in community, and how we are currently trying to struggle through life alone because like now we think about community as like nuclear family 
um, or that some people maybe are getting some of those like community needs met through their church. Some people get their community needs met through like people that have common interests, like people that they share a hobby with, but that ultimately the thing that I run across probably the most in my practice is people who feel exhausted and don't feel like they can tell anybody about it besides me. Right. Well, and then that's where we come in. That's where people like us come in. And by the way, I don't buy this shit that a therapist is the only way to get better when you're feeling emotionally. Totally. Of course not. Um, what I think a critical piece of information for someone in a desperate, you know, leveraged position where they have no energy and no time and no focus and no free resources of any kind themselves, or even the bare minimal willpower expenditure to ask for help from someone who has the resource, right? Our role is to teach people how to simplify so that they can scratch a little bit out, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and let's say you have a hundred different things you know, it's painful, the idea that we have to maybe fail at some of them, whatever that means. Totally. Maybe you need, if you're carrying a, a 10 plates, maybe you need to drop two. Mm-hmm. Let them smash. Yeah. The world will go on. Yeah. And what's that, you had a quote. Well, now I have no idea, um, but I'm thinking about, like, for me, I, I think about, like, it's like spinning plates, which, like, maybe yeah. you've never seen in, like, real time but it's basically somebody trying to like balance a plate on the top of a stick and then like down the line doing 10 of them and right so maybe it's not even just carrying it's this idea that like that frantic energy that it takes as soon as I feel like I've got this one now mm-hmm. settled I have to run to the forefront to make sure that like there's it that's it's, no way to live it's delusional and it will not have predictable beneficial outcomes you had a quote about pain and shells that are really like uh, oh right well it's not my quote it's uh, it's Khalil Gibran's but his poem on pain um, you know I regularly quote um, for people um, because it's so human the opening line of his poem on pain is your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding and in my own human experience I know that I am the most open to change and I am the most receptive to it when I'm sick of suffering, doing things in a way that are not serving me. And it's the best way our body knows how to communicate right and wrong to us. Yeah, totally. Um, There's this really funny, um, like, kind of side-by-side tarot card analysis. It's not an analysis, but it's a meme, basically. And the first one is, like, this little fat cherub baby sitting on a white horse and it's the sun, like that's the card. And so yeah. what it says above it is what people think a spiritual awakening look like looks like. <laughs> and it's this little baby just like basking in the oh, sun course, on this yeah. horse. And then it's, you know, what a spiritual awakening actually looks like. And it's the tower card, which is sometimes described as the lightning card. So it's like a bolt of lightning striking this tower as like people are throwing themselves out of it. And like that's what change feels sure. like, which is what makes it so hard. Yeah. Is because it's painful, it's scary. And our fear tells us that the unknown on the other side of that change is going to be worse than the current sort of like cyclical pattern of craving, avoidance, delusion, pain, workaholism, exhaustion. Of course. It says like this is the only way to survive anything other than this. Right. And so breaking out of what we become habituated to 
that some distress tolerance is really helpful, right? Sure. You go work out, you get sore, you keep going, you run, right? Like the difference between running a mile and a half to deal with your stress and eating a value meal at a fast food joint is that one of them is a little more painful and has a more lasting benefit to it. Sure. One of them is a little bit easier, but has a longer term cost. Way you know? better targeting. And you know, we speak, you speak of suffering and like distress tolerance. And I don't even think, I think if you're surviving in this world, you have way more distress tolerance by leaps and bounds than you need. Mm. It's just about applying it to different avenues. I think that's really um, crucial is a lot of people, myself included, are like, ah, I could never do that. Or, ah, I could, you know. And that's where, that's your, you know, yeah, to quote, you know, kind of Buddhist tenets, it's like we are hardwired to chase pleasure and avoid pain. It's just that we don't have to be only that, right? I'm not just an animal. I have this incredible computational ability, um, critical thinking, this idea to process consequences, which is so fascinating, right? So if I save $25 a week, then in this many weeks, right? So like even the ability to think about the future and plan for it makes us exceptional. Of course. You know, and taking this even, you know, taking this another, another slant, the whole, um, we have the capacity to think about our thinking, to process our consequences. A thought about what would be a bad idea for us would be a moment of our time that would be the extinction of a genetic pool for another animal because they would know nothing but to go and try it. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so we're very, very capable and unique in that way. Yeah. But you, you look at it in the distress tolerance of suffering. To me, learning, even if you don't have the capacity to do the bare mechanical, animalistic, hardware upgrade work that it takes to get more operating power, if you can slash the amount of programs you have running, or in English, if you can cut, smash four of those 11 plates you have going on, pick the ones that have the food you don't like that much, mm-hmm. accept the, the noise and the crash and the, and the slight cuts and the pain and the embarrassment of that broken porcelain, and now... You want to talk about getting a massive work-life balance upgrade. Mm. Well, if you only make, we'll say, $20 an hour, but you were spending 18 and you went to spending 11 that's a $9 raise. Yeah. You know? That's hard. And I think that, you know, I know, I know we're getting to our time, and the hope would be that we have brought some, you know, some thought, at the very least, like, when, you know, things are thought-provoking, or if you have an opinion, certainly, about uh, some of the things we've shared, find Ken on uh, on his website and tell him what you think about it. <laughs> um, but how, like, for me, the the beauty of the human mind is that whenever we feel stuck, if we want to sit in stuck and really feel it, that will be oftentimes the impetus to make the change. And then I'm more willing or open for it. If I'm feeling stuck and I play a video game on my phone, consume something, Mm -hmm. purchase something online impulsively, 
drink something, smoke something, eat something that allows me to numb or mitigate that feeling of being stuck, that's how I stay stuck. Sure. Right? And just because my brain, my little limbic system, my little fevered brain tells me that that's the way to cope doesn't mean that I don't have a further, higher ability to say, yeah, but that's not what I actually want. Sure. Yeah. One more point uh, I think is valuable, valid to carry out here is the, the answer you get, whether it's through listening to the pain and communicating in that universal language rather than just shutting off and not paying attention, right. or whether it's through advanced reflection or planning or whatever, you know, whether you address it from the philosophical to the terrestrial or the terrestrial to the philosophical, the answer today may not be the answer tomorrow. Mm. So let's say, man, you're working 14-hour days, you're killing yourself, but you're making like 5x the amount of money that you need with your current expense level, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say at that point, if you can manage that for six months and really keep to your intelligent budgeting, well, you've just bought yourself a massive leverage of freedom. Mm -hmm. So maybe that person that we would go, oh my God, he has no work-life balance or she has no work-life balance. If they have a plan and they balance it in accord with their actual energetic capacities, and they know that they will not break or deviate too far unless something better comes along, then what may look horrible to us may actually be a brilliant exception to the rule. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, the great thing about spending time in therapy, spending any time in self-reflection, period, because again, going to a therapist is not the only way to get to know yourself and what you need, is that the right answers will come to you for you, right? right? That's one of those things that when people say trust your gut, um, somebody wrote a book called The Second Brain, talking mm-hmm. about like the peripheral. All the neurons. And right, the, yeah. that there are other ways that like we find out what's good for us, what's right for us, what's wrong, besides just maybe like our conditioned mind or our brain. And so that sitting in silence of all the things that people say, well, I don't have any time for that, you know? Sure. And someone tell me once um, who had seven kids and we did some guided meditation in in a class at one point and they were like i'm gonna go home and shut myself in the closet and try this sometime so like when there's a will there is a way even with seven children in your house that this person was like this was really helpful i am going to right like once it becomes a priority you make time for it and that you know in the will piece Mm. being when people don't have it and they don't know that it is a quantifiable thing that can be trained and developed. Yeah, and that's real. You know? Beth, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming to 40 Years Back in the Past. To the land that time forgot? No, no, it's my pleasure. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm looking forward to making this a more regular thing. Um, and, yeah, if anybody's interested in other topics or things that you uh, find curious or want to hear us broach, find Ken on the Internet. Or, or find Beth. Where can, where can they find you, Beth? So you get some hate mail, too. Yeah, still on Psychology Today. Um, if you type in 70119 and my name, Elizabeth Pace, P-A-C-E, you could find me. And if you're in the city and I seem like someone that you're interested in working with, um, I am accepting new clients. I'm. Uh, l- let me say uh, I am not making, let's see, I could say I don't have time to build a website, but we both know that means. You don't have attention. A, <laughs> that it's not a priority. But Ken, where can people find you on the, the internet? Well, you can find me at the same place you would download this, unless it's through iTunes, but uh, paragon-counseling.com. 
and you can shoot me an email through the form there. You can get a hold of me on Psychology Today as well, and um, or you can leave me a comment on iTunes. So thank all of you for your time, all ten of you who are listening. Yeah, right. <laughs> Six people. I feel like that would be a total windfall. Either way, it's a ton of fun to talk about this stuff because it helps... Um, it helps me uh, train my brain. For sure. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we have. It's our calling to provide information and inspiration to help people achieve happiness, self-mastery, and better lifestyles in any way we can. But I'd like to take a moment to remind everyone that though I am a licensed professional counselor, these podcasts are not sufficient to count as clinical intervention nor advice. Please contact a local professional if you find yourself experiencing distress that does not improve with a good and simple routine. And finally, we're striving to improve in all that we do, all the time, and as such, we'd love your feedback. If you want to connect with us further, please do so at paragoncounselor at gmail.com or facebook.com slash paragonwellness.